Welcome to Choices, the podcast that allows you to simply be. I'm Vidya Bellor and my job is to help you think about things a little bit differently, to help you cope with those challenges in life that may be affecting your happiness or performance and hopefully provide you with some clarity in your decision making. Today we talk to a 26-year-old former addict in recovery. He started on a path to drink and drugs when he was just 13 years old. What drives some of us to self-destruction at such a young age? How do we recognise it's become a problem? Where can you seek help for habits that have gripped you for many years? Last week, in my episode about habits and addictions, I alluded to the fact that habits are the mind's solution to a problem. I also talked of how addiction and seemingly unresourceful, self-destructive habits are created from a person's sense of emotional pain. Emotional pain is something we all experience in life, and it's a relationship we all have to learn to be with. But sometimes life may throw a multitude of experiences that we may never have asked for perhaps in quick succession. And with that, a host of challenges and turbulence that we don't feel equipped to handle. Our brain may not even choose to compute the experiences. They just explode almost and store in snippets and fragments just remaining unprocessed. The pain is just too much to bear. It's overwhelming. And how do we deal with this overwhelm that we may not even be aware we are feeling. It's different for different people based on their unique set of circumstances and experience in life. Last week, I shared some of my story. And you know what? I was listening. And it was only the tip of a very big iceberg. I know as I shared some of those intimate moments of my eating habits, I felt exposed because I haven't really shared that level of detail with anyone properly. And I know upon listening to it, I just skirted around so many of the finer details on how much would be consumed in a day. The lengths I'd go to hide food receipts and packaging how I would go on purposeful missions to get what I wanted, when I wanted. The want for that simultaneous trapping of feeling so full, I wanted to burst and I wanted to be sick and wanting this kind of food coma feeling to hit me so that I'd feel that almost inebriated, drunk, dozy feeling that I couldn't even move from where I was and I'd have no choice but to sleep it all off to forget about everything. That was my bliss point. And actually, I thought I could get away with all of it. Because after all, what's so bad? You're only eating a bit too much. Eating is a socially acceptable and necessary habit after all. Messages we sometimes read about an obese nation, in my opinion, just don't help. There's so much more to it than the eat less, move more kind of flippant slogan. 
If I could have simply done this at the time, I would have. Of course, it's a formula that makes total scientific sense. But for most people, we're not dealing with science. We're dealing with emotional pain, anxiety, stress, depression. They're all manifestations of that troublesome relationship. Whether we're remembering it, whether we're trying to avoid it by thinking of the multitude of scenarios on how to. Soon enough, it can just become exhausting and there is a quicker fix to the whole picture. You see, in my head, I legitimized it. Because at least it wasn't drugs. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't gambling. It wasn't that bad. I'd kind of created a hierarchy or pecking order in my brain. But it was just a story I told. I was still pressing self-destruct. Which I didn't care to acknowledge, by the way. It was self-destruct. Just the slow burn kind. Because actually in my head, as much as I tried, I reasoned I didn't have the guts to swallow a whole bottle of tablets and end it all. This would just have to do. It meant eventually I'd end up dead and not have to deal with anything. And at least this way, the children still had their mum around. For a bit of time anyway. For me, there was that wake-up moment where my healing took a priority for me. And I decided to turn this pain into something positive. And I guess this is why I wanted to speak to someone else recovering from their own issues, who themselves has their own story. Recovering now from drugs and alcohol, it's really hard not to be inspired by my following guest. George Jacobs is a 26-year-old former addict in recovery. He started on a path to drink and drugs when he was just 13 years old clean for three years and now on a journey to help others on their path to wellness, he joins me to share his own experience and the steps he took to his own recovery. Hello, George. Welcome to the Choices Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for inviting me on today to share my story. As I've been talking, you know, we all have a story. So perhaps you could share some of yours. Thank you. It's a pleasure to come along today with you and and yeah, I'm overly grateful for this uh, opportunity to come and talk. I'll just start off with a little bit about my background, really. So I'm 26 years old, living in West Sussex with my mum. I've got two older brothers. We were brought up in the same household, same parents. Yeah, I was different. I believe I must have been wired up differently. From a young age, I can remember feeling inadequate. That feeling of not good enough, scared, frightened, lonely. And I felt that really uncomfortable sense of being in my own skin and I just felt like the world was out to get me from a young age. And there wasn't any particular reason behind it. Mm. You know, life wasn't bad. It was just me. And I would always be looking at what other people had instead of what I had. And I struggled to fit in with groups of people. It was bizarre. Like, I could get along with some people and not others. But I always felt that, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't have self-worth. I wasn't confident enough to, I don't know, be myself. Mm. It was like there was something inside me that needed to be let out. You know, and I just kept it contained in, in this little small boy. And and because of that, you know, I quickly became very you know, aggressive, a class clown, 
you know, I strive for attention and for people to like me. And when I was around 10, my parents got divorced. I was misdiagnosed with ADHD and, and my grandfather died the same year. And, and it really did impact me profoundly. It was the first turning point in my life, really, as I remember. My behavior just got worse and worse. I became very antisocial, which then affected my education. And I just thought everything was out to get me again. I believe my addiction and my story started a long time before I could shoot me. You know, I was, I was very obsessive at a young age. I was trying to change the way that I felt, whether it was overindulged on sweets, cakes, you know, excessive amounts of sports, uh, destructive behavior and fighting, or, or video games, you know, and all of these things took me out of my own reality and it enabled me to be somebody that I thought I was. I could hide and run away from emotions. And life was a lot different when I was behaving in that manner. And then what happened was when I was 13, um, I started smoking cigarettes and cannabis. I uh, started to have sex. And, and all these things then just became another addiction. You know, more just destructive behavior to add to my list. And already my kind of personality is changing towards this. I don't really care anymore, you know. And, uh, and it was a really lonely place to be. I remember when I first smoked a joint or had my first drink, and I did not like the taste or the smell. But what I did like was the effect it produced. It gave me this ease and comfort, which I'd never, ever experienced before, ever. You know, and I felt like I was okay with just being George, and I had not experienced that before. And um, and that's kind of where the progression of, of my illness came from, is because I realized very soon on that if I change the way I feel through a means of mind-altering substance, then I'm okay, I'm happy, you know, and that wasn't such the case, you know. Um, by the time I'm 14, 15, I'm smoking daily, I start drinking alcohol, going to house parties, and then I'm enjoying myself. And that's probably about the only stage of my life which it was fun. You know, it wasn't too reckless. There wasn't consequences at that age, mm. you know, but slowly but surely, I start pushing all the things that I love and enjoy away in my life. You know, I, I was quite good at football and cricket, I attended army cadets, you know, and all those things that I love and cherish, I just put to one side instantly just for my next drug, you know, mm. even at the age of 16. And, you know, I didn't really think of it as a problem at the time. I just thought this is normal. I just thought I'm giving that stuff up because this is more fun. Mm. You know, I didn't really feel like that it was going to impact my future. You know, I finished school uh, and I started an apprenticeship, managed to pass my qualification, but I had numerous employers couldn't hold down a job there was a long period of time where I was unemployed and I just wouldn't listen I'd be late I'd be taking drugs every day and all my wages went on drinking drugs just living paycheck to paycheck and again I didn't feel like this was a problem I thought I had a choice you know I thought I had control over the substance you know what I didn't know was it's actually leading me up to just to crucify me basically at 19 I started to get into a lot of debt with my parents uh, with my friends, banks, um, and I began, I've become very depressed. You know, my mental health is now taking hold and, you know, suicidal thoughts have come in, self-harm has come in, and I feel very depressed, I feel isolated, scared and lonely, just as I did four or five years ago before that, when I first started using substances, and um, it only ever got worse, never better. Mm. Uh, and that was the key thing that I realised in recovery, that no matter what I did, what I tried, it only ever got worse, you know, and the consequences got worse. And in turn, the, the amount of drugs, the amount of drink would increase. 
eventually I then started an unhealthy relationship with cocaine. You know, my suicidal thoughts become normal day-to-day occurrences. And, and the way I blot out my life now is just, just pure annihilation of my body and my mind. My addiction took me to exactly where I wanted me to be. You know, it took me to that very lonely, broken and dying state being. You know, I had no purpose in this world. Now. You know, I'd be contained within four walls, just with drink, drugs, and no sleep for two or three days. And I start to get psychosis. And that psychosis ruined me. You know, the psychosis sent me into a new level of an area that I never wanted to go to. You know, all those things I said when I was younger, saying I would never get to that place. You know, that's really bad. Mm. Um, but there I was. I'm under my duvet. I've got a blanket under the door. I'm peeking out the blinds. You know, I think there's under kind of the police everywhere. I think that people are trying to break into the house. And the psychosis only got worse from there. That was just the start, you know. Mm. It, it progresses in that sense too with my mental health. I think that there's centipedes calling from my veins, you know, and, and I'm scratching and I'm stabbing myself trying to like remove something that's not even there. You know, at this point in my life, I've not had any real employment for a number of years. I'm drinking and taking drugs hourly. You know, I've had too many strokes, countless overdoses. I've had many trips to doctors, hospitals, counsellors, mental health professionals, drug and alcohol support workers, and many suicidal attempts. And I'm absolutely broke inside and out. And, and I resigned myself to the fact that that is the way that I'm going to die because I had no result. I had nowhere else to turn to. And, you know, I, I was completely and utterly powerless over the fact that I'm doing something beyond my control. There was no way I wanted to do this anymore. I can see what it's doing to my family. I can see what it's doing to my health. I can see that I can't have a successful future all the time I'm doing. And so it's quite simple. It was, well, just stop. You know, and I couldn't just stop. For the life of me, I could not stop. You know, it had me in such a strong hold that I couldn't break free. I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping, I'm a mess, you know, but at the time, all my sound reasoning just completely goes. There is no willpower. I was utterly powerless over picking up that first drink or drug. And the mental blank spots that made me instantly forget the pain and suffering that it caused me and my family just yesterday. And it is completely pushed to one side when that thought comes. However, if I do manage to stop for any duration, which is usually brief, I would feel restless, irritable and discontent. And I would just hate the world. and want to. I would just want to escape until I yet again experience that ease and comfort from a drink or a drug that I had when I was 13 years old. You know, and this is 10 years later. I'm still chasing the game, mm. hoping that it's going to be the same. Mm. You know, and that's just a, a little insight into, into my story. Thank you for sharing. Very honest account there. And we all have some story, as I started off with. And it starts with very similar stuff, you know, like, oh, I don't fit in or can't find my place in the world. It starts with something so basic as just a feeling, um, something to fix that feeling. So, yeah, I could I could relate from here. You talk very honestly, but, you know, how did your addiction affect your relationship? Well... I mean, my addiction affected every area of my life and especially relationships, you know. The way I can describe it is it's like a tornado roaring through the homes and families and people's lives, you know, because it was just an uncontrollable ball of mess. You know, I was so selfish, so self-centered. And I just, I just didn't care. And that's a really hard thing to say because deep down, 
of course I cared, but I was I was so broken that I had you know, I I'd given up trying. But this was the thing for me, it was the shame, guilt and the remorse that always kept me coming back to drinking drugs and and the more I affected my family, the worse I felt. You know, and my family just basically they didn't disown me but just had nothing to do with me. Uh, my friends very quickly disappeared. They're just like, you're way too much for me. I can't handle this. Partners, they came and went. I couldn't get a relationship with an employer because I was just unemployable, mm-hmm. you know, and education, well, that was kind of all finished. So every avenue I went down with a relationship, they just couldn't put up with it. So, yeah, it really it ruined every aspect of trying to find anything in that sense. Yeah, and I th- I think, isn't it, when you are on that d- destructive path, all you want to feel is a sense of worthiness, but you're going about the world destroying any potential for that. So you talk about being broken. And in my last episode, I talked of, you know, there's that tipping balance between, God, the pain of staying the same, it's not in balance with the pain of, of change. And actually, it's it balances tipped for that. So... You know, what was your wake-up call in the business, isn't it? Your rock bottom. What was that for you? My wake-up call. uh, There was many wake-up calls, and I feel like they were moments of opportunity, windows of opportunity. Mm. And for me, it was, do I take this? Do I not? Am I taking this path or this path today? And my drug addiction always took me down the wrong path. But one day it didn't, and I had a wake-up call, and it was New Year's Day, and I was not slept for days and I fell to my knees in my lounge, just where I'm sat now. And I had this this moment where I've got a choice. Like, do I want to live or do I want to die? And it was a very strong moment that I'll never forget because it was like my soul had left me, you know, and I was just an empty shell. And it was like, do you want to live or die? And I remember ringing up my dad who offered me to go to a treatment centre three months prior to this when I probably should have gone in. I believe that until I was in enough sufficient pain that I couldn't do it for other people, I had to do it for myself. And that moment finally came and I was so grateful when I got on the phone. I said, Dad, can I go to rehab? And he was just like taken back like, what? (laughs) And and he was like, of course, yes. And And we booked it in and seven days later, I'm in a rehab, you know, and and it was just incredible. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I bet I bet your dad was really taken aback because it's probably something he'd been trying <laughs> trying to do for you for a very long time. So did you yeah, did well, you get many kind of tough love from your parents? It was there was a lot of tough love. They could just see how hopeless I was and at the same time how hopeless they are because yeah. there's nothing they can do. Yeah. You know, I was without human aid, like I was, it was not possible. Human aid would not solve this problem. You have to reach that point, don't you, where you say, I've just got to do this for myself. Like, as you said, you can't do it to please others. You can't do it because it will shut them up. You can't do it because because it just won't work. It has to be totally you investing in you because you, even if you don't believe it at that point that you're worth it, just totally surrender to that. This is all that's left and I have to do something. Yeah, I agree. I can I can relate to it just with something like smoking. A hundred people can tell me to stop smoking, but all that does is make me want to smoke more mm. because I feel that inadequacy that I can't just stop 
like other people can just stop doing something no matter what it is and i and then it makes me feel just uncomfortable like why can't i be like other people why is it just me and then you get into that self-pity and that's not a good place for me to be so it's just that acceptance of this is for me because my life's history shows me that i can't do this for my family and if i had children i cannot do it for them and if i had a wife i couldn't do it for her because throughout my drinking and news i walk all over any person no matter who you know and and that would be no different you know, when it comes to the point where I go, I need to do it for this person. It's mm. like, well, I need to do that for that person a long time ago. That didn't matter. So it has to be for me. Yeah, I can hear you because I guess, isn't it? You meet such depths of your own personality and your capabilities. You know the extremes you'll go to. Interestingly, you know, and quite honestly, you said, you know, you'd mentioned strokes and you'd have strokes, many strokes by a young age. I mean, tell me a bit about that, because that's unusual for people to hear, isn't it? Still so it's young so and, and have been, your body's been through quite something. I mean, my, my drinking and using career, as I say it, um, <laughs> it lasted 10 years, but it was very much obsessive and large quantities from the get-go. And my body's just sufficient, like just um, was impacted so quickly because of how young I was and, and how much I was doing. Uh, and just being unhealthy you know the mini strokes came i was i was cocktailing lots of different drugs and i hadn't slept for a number of nights and i just was sat there at six in the morning around someone's house and i couldn't speak i couldn't get up my body gave up and i was trying to speak like help but i was just dribbling you know and i had this severe pain in my head and and i didn't know what was going on and and for me that happened at 20 and I thought, is this a wake-up call? Mm. Yes, of course it was a wake-up call, but it was one of them windows, opportunities that were passed, but they were pushed aside mm. because I heard the drink and drug, mm. you know, and at that moment I was smoking cannabis more than I was taking other harder drugs. And I completely stopped that day, the cannabis, because I thought that was the issue. Mm. But the issue really is everything else <laughs> combined into one, which has gone, nope, not having this anymore. You know, and the, and the second one came towards the end of my drinking and using it, where it was it was very dark and very traumatic, and and my body just gave up. I was laying in bed, and uh, and that was it. My body done exactly the same thing, and I remember trying to get up and splash myself, and try and walk down the stairs, and, and I couldn't. And I called an ambulance, and by the time they had got there, and I was in the ambulance, they were like, "Well, you're having a mini stroke." And I was like, what? And then after 10 minutes, my levels all stabled out. And they were like, what? What? Like They couldn't believe what they were seeing. That I was in such this state when they saw me. And 10 minutes later, I was near enough perfectly fine. And, and for me, that was another wake-up call. That was where there was, there was something bigger than me, something out there more powerful keeping me there, you know, because... That doesn't happen, you know. I'm kind of a cat of nine lives, and and I'm and I'm blessed to mm. to be here. Mm. I hear that, and I guess those windows. I think they they pass you by because somehow, isn't it? If you bounce back from them, you you're led into that fault, even though you're abusing yourself to the hilt. If you come back, you still think, "Oh, well, I'll be okay. I'll I'll be all right." And actually, that's a, it's a false thing you tell yourself. 
because every time you come back that's your opportunity to grab and to run with for moving forward and I, and I, I can so relate to what you said you know about you kind of just kneeling down in your living room and going feeling that something something beyond you that higher power I, I totally get that so tell me a bit more about your recovery then like how has it been how long and and what has helped you wow yeah, i mean this is the part that i'm most passionate about yeah and i want you to share that with us because this is what we need to know isn't it that listen when you think life's a write-off there is so much more and it's about finding that so so much more so yeah share your passion thank you and uh for me it's hope you know one day there there will be hope my recovery started, like I said, in, in a detox center, and I was removed from society. And that's what I needed at that time. I needed to be on my own mm. in a clinical situation. And and I saw a 12-step fellowship, and I lived a new life from then on. The thing that really mattered to me was it's for me, and it's one day at a time. You know, all I have is one day, and that one day is just a reprieve. And the way that I get this reprieve is is I just do a little bit. I just do some things. You know, I've got a few tools in my belt mm. and I use them, you know. I'm not a religious person, but I am a very spiritual person and I believe talking to the outer world about my problems and what I need help with, it helps they get answered, mm. you know. There is a power out there that is much greater than me and without that, I am nothing because my experience shows me that my best thinking gets me into these sorts of states. You know, but when I put my reliance upon a, into a higher power, mm. I'm not on my own. I have always got something. Uh, and for me, that's so important. Recovery is a, it's a lifetime thing. I remember I went into that rehab and they said, this is an abstinence program. And I said, what does that mean? They said, you can never drink or use ever again. And I said, no way. You're 23 years old. You're having a laugh. You know, and a man took me aside. And he said, it'll be okay. There is hope. And from that moment, I was like, wow, there really is. And I heard people's stories, you know, and my outlook quickly changed. You know, I wasn't on my own. And I started to see the trees and the birds and the sky and the sea and grass for the first time in my life. And I appreciated everything because I was in that place of broken, that I had nothing left. And I finally been given a life that was worth living, you know, and that was key to me because if, it, if the deal was I come in to recovery and I get my life back, I'd say, no, thank you. I don't want my life back. My life was horrific. Mm. But I, I, I wasn't. I was given a new life. And this new life has just branched out. And I'm, I'm over three years clean Brilliant. by the grace of my higher power. You know, my friends, my family, my support network. You know, and, and I went through some steps. And on one of those steps, I went through all the wreckage of my past. And I stripped it down to the bare bones to find out who George is. Because I didn't know. I spoke in, I spoke before the first question about my story and I had no clue who George was. You know, and I come into recovery and I quickly find out who George is. I mean, I came in as a very emotional, lost boy who had a big shell on his back and a, a sign that wasn't very polite on my face. I didn't want anyone to talk to me. And something happened. You know, there was a spiritual moment. There was a spiritual experience in my life that I felt awoke, mm. and that was it. I just let rip, and I thought, this little boy can finally come out, 
enjoy life. And the main thing for me today is helping others, carrying a message of hope, faith and courage to somebody that needs to hear it, who is struggling or any families who have a, who have a son or a daughter who is struggling uh, and they're lost and they don't know what to do. Recovery has given me my life back, but it's also given me my, it's given my mum's life back. You know, I, I mean, this is not a family illness to me. Nobody else has this problem in my family mm-hmm. apart from me. But they definitely suffered the consequences just as much as I did. You know, I put my mum through the absolute ring. Things that I wouldn't do to my worst enemy. You know, my mum went through sheer pain. And today she's only proud. You know, and, and damn, cool. I mean, yeah, it kind of tears me up because I know that there's nothing but unconditional love. And I've always been loved, but I couldn't see it. Yeah. But now today I could be. That's beautiful. And you know, isn't it? It's that service to others. I mean, I use sharing so honestly. I have to say, I do what I do because that's what sustains me. It gives me a sense of purpose and connects me with that higher, higher power, even you know, I believe I'm here to serve. I've I've dealt with my own stuff because I've been through whatever because I'm designed to do this. So yeah, and actually something you, something beautiful you said, you know, that you notice the sky, the trees, the grass, you know, I I too I just got to a point in my life I just didn't look at the sky. Like I was always looking down and it would invariably if I was ever out it would be a pavement and it was gray and it was uninspiring but now I I make an effort to look in up and you know some people just don't understand I could stand in front of the sky and I cry but those tears are from within and I could never explain that to anyone but yes so you've been three years clean and and you know something else that you said actually is that you know it's one day at a time somebody asked me actually how did you get through it and I I still to this day say every day is another day (laughs) another day in that, that direction it's not it's not something you get through or get past your working continually at the new so how do you deal with triggers that you meet in your day-to-day triggers in my day-to-day life i don't so much have triggers actually anymore it's a bit of a weird one the triggers for me nowadays is when i stop doing the things i meant to be doing you know Mm. that's when triggers come in you know when i stop talking to other people helping other people not being of service or i take life back into my own hands and i run on self-will then my life slowly becomes very bad, not in the sense that I want to drink or use again, but I just feel agitated. I feel like I can't be bothered. I'm very mm. lethargic. And that's not who I am or want to be. You know, I'm quite energetic, happy, bubbly, and, you know, that's who I want to be. Mm. Um, but, like, when I put my recovery down, I also go down with it. And when mm. I pick it up again, hey, it's great again. But triggers for me is... Things that I can't change, mm. you know, if I'm unhappy about a situation, I can't control it. Or I can't change it. I feel like, ah, mm. ah, come on. Like, <laughs> but I know that I'm completely powerless over people's actions, what people say, you know, and, and at the start, it was very much, I just kept my head down and I just 
I just threw myself into recovery. Mm. You know, I had three months where I just went bananas on recovery. And that really gave me this sense of, wow, it's going to be all right. And I had a big connection and lots of people that I can talk with. And anytime I had a thought or a feeling, I would always ring the same sort of people and they'll say, it's all right, George, because a thought or a feeling won't kill you. But a drink or a drug will. And it was like, wow, yes, that's so true. So triggers for me, I, I often ponder and think, well, what about when someone very close to me passes away? Like, will I drink? Mm. Will I take drugs? Mm. And the answer to that is I don't know. Mm. But what I do know is that's not happened today. You know, and, and today I can deal with whatever I'm dealing with today or today. And whatever ever happens in the future on that day, I would deal with in the manner of how it's meant to be because my life is kind of governed now by my higher power and I just let it be, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I so, I know I always keep saying this. I so relate to what you say, but I do because isn't it? Sometimes we, we think erroneously that, oh, we've got to believe that, something can change so we can do something different so that we can kind of get different results in our life and then we might start believing but actually that's the topsy-turvy way of thinking sometimes we just have to do take one step of action even if we don't believe get different results to change the way we believe about stuff and we keep repeating that way of going around the cycle we can begin to to see the effects of our actions and and how they can bring about different results and then we start to reinforce that belief that you know what we can do it i agree and um for me positive affirmations and meditation are things that play a big part in my life especially the beginning Mm -hmm. because i still had that low self-worth and i Mm -hmm. didn't have much confidence and my ego was still pretty high even though i was broken and I really need to just be grounded. And I find that a five-minute morning meditation in the morning gives me loads of like energy. And I'm like, wow, yes, I do have purpose. I am strong. I can do this. And if I do feel low, I just ask the sky. I say, please, just show me some guidance. Mm. Open a path. Give me some strength. Mm. You know, and, and everything's going to be okay. Mm. Because you will be okay. And I think so many of us go through life with the core belief that we won't be okay. And actually, we will. And it's about doing everything to support that instead. So how do you find it helping other people? Uh, Helping others is the key to my recovery today. Without helping others, I may as well just drink and use or just live a very unhappy, abstinent life. And that's the choice for me. But I choose to help other people. Because when I came into recovery and I said, well, I don't like the sound of abstinence. What about when I have to wet the baby's head? What about when I go get married? What about my 30th birthday? And all of these things. And um, my friend said to me, but that's all in the future. You only have today. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I said, that's so true. And then at that point, I realized, what is my purpose? Because my purpose before was to drink and take drugs. That's all I knew what to do. And then I realized that my actual real purpose, why I was given another chance at life, is to help someone else have another chance at life. Mm. You know, and, and that's my purpose today. If, that's, if I can just help one person, I'll be happy, you know, or at least plant a seed that yeah. eventually it helps that person, you know, because that's all I want. You know, there's so much, there's so much out there, so much support out there, but it's just not reached, you know, which when I was, went to the doctors, I had never heard about the solution of how I could get clean. 
I I never heard that there was a 12-step fellowship. No, I didn't hear it. Mm. You know, but I went into a treatment centre and, and I find this, I know, this miracle of people who are exactly the same as me, mm. who come from all walks of life, you know, and we have one common common denominator here and that's we are all there to serve the same purpose and that is to help the new person, you know, to help somebody who doesn't have a life of hope, faith and courage. You know, they're that broken person like myself I described and and, and just one person freely giving their time to another person is the way that I believe people get clean and sober. Mm. You know, when I help another man on a, on a basis of he can relate to me, his story is pretty much the same. You know, there's a good chance that we can work together and he can have the same life that I've been blessed with today. And if I don't help other people, then for me, I'm just restricting the amount of people that can enjoy life, yeah. you know, because it's a very dark, torturous place. And, and, it, and it's a killer illness, mm. you know, and I describe it because it is, yeah. you know, and it kills people daily. And if it doesn't kill people, it definitely ruins people's life. Families, children get put up for adoption and, and all sorts of crazy stuff that in the normal world, it doesn't really happen, mm. you know. And I, I think, isn't it, that you can help other people because, as, as I've talked about in the episode, is that you learn to a different relationship, actually, with emotional pain you learn how to relate to pain and because you understand emotional pain and have this newer relationship with it you can help others to relate to that and, and see and go on their own journey about that and it's a beautiful thing you know I even in my work when I when I meet, I'm faced with that it's actually a blessing and I feel so blessed and privileged to be in that base of and I bleat on and on and on about that to so many people and they're just going oh here she goes again but it's it's so from the depths of within so you know all that you've shared today we are very different our stories are very different but on a human level I can so relate and I'm so I, I'm sure people will hear in my voice I'm so moved George where are you now like what are your plans for the future well my plans for the future is it's a tricky one mm. um I'm very much living in the moment I very much live in the now mm. I think about the future somewhat scares me but excites me I'll be 27 this year I'm currently a ground worker I wanted to be a digger driver but my real real sort of thing that I want to do when I'm older is I'm starting to be a counsellor or a therapist or work in the drug and alcohol field or in a rehabilitation centre uh, or work with young adults, something like that. I do quite a lot of um, voluntary stuff within like, within the fellowship I, I uh, attend and I'm part of like hospital and institutions committee members and um, I walk around hospitals talking to patients, trying to offer my support. I'm part of a helpline and people call me who are dying and terrified and don't know where to go and, and all that bits of service is what keeps me clean you mm. know because I had a guy ring me yesterday he's just come out of hospital and he was like oh I need help and I told him about my story and he related to everything and I got him onto a meeting within an hour and he went on the meeting and then he said I'm just going to kill myself and I was like oh. you know and like it's tragic. You know, there's so many people out there suffering and that's that's why I'm passionate about the recovery and getting the message across to people and, you know, just trying to help someone. I mean, how do you deal with that when you, you are faced? You can see somebody in so much pain and, you know, you're a bit like your parents were with you 
and you want to get them the help and like that man you talked of just now when he says I mean ultimately it's, I know that it's down to the individual yeah. um, I know it's down to a higher power uh, and I know that everyone's journey is different and and when I was drinking news and I was very good at emotionally attaching myself to everybody and I would say to everyone I can fix your problems <laughs> and I would try my hardest to fix their problems and never look at mine because it's harder to deal with my own than tell someone what they should do with their life yeah and when I came into recovery, that, that literally disappeared. And it was like, when someone said, oh, I'm going through this, I would feel their pain and I would make it my problem. Mm. Or if somebody beat my friend up, I'd be like, well, I'm not having that. And and I'll take it into my own hands. And now with recovery, it's like, I can feel it on a sympathetic and empathetic yeah. level, but I don't feel their pain like I used to. Because yeah. I know that I've been there, suffered it. I know there's hope. I know that they can get out the other side. So I just throw the tools at them as mm. much as I can and hopefully plant the seed. And one day they come back and they go, wow, this does work. You know, yeah. it's all you can do really. Yeah. A, a healthy detachment, isn't it? It's what's needed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like whilst I'm young, I kind of want to experience the being young and kind of just working mm. on a building site and stuff. And, and in my latter years, plan to do something with some sort of rehabilitation yeah. for young adults but yeah obviously my goals are they're all miracles as well because like I was a hopeless case that I didn't think I would make it my family didn't think I'd make it but today I'm a godfather to a beautiful little girl that Aww. I said when I'll get clean I'll get clean for this baby and she was born that seven days after I came out of rehab wow. and it was like wow and then I got the opportunity to be the godfather. You know, I can be a nephew, I can be a nephew, I can be an uncle, I can be a grandson, I can be a son, I can be a brother, you know, and I can be a partner. And all these things I could not be, mm. you know. So my future is just hold my family close and build a life for myself. You've gained so much, isn't it, by letting go. So I just wanted to say, what's your goddaughter's name? <laughs> Lily. Lily. Okay, well, let's dedicate this episode, this effort on your part, your first podcast interview to Lily. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, George, for sharing your story so honestly with us today. No worries. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. The relationship to emotional pain is a source of many lessons that I draw on every single day to help others. Lots in recovery about all sorts find they owe part of their healing to their spirituality or their act of service to others experiencing similar. As we heard from George, spirituality and service, you learn the important lessons of acceptance and the need to surrender. You stop participating in a toxic relationship with emotional pain and instead start to develop a different relationship with it. There is no right path, but everyone who chooses to, however littered with thorns, difficulty and hardship, finds their way from pain to positivity. I truly believe that. Thank you for listening to The Choices Podcast. If George or I have said anything which resonated with you and you wanted to reach out to either of us, please send an email to choices at vividoutcomes.co.uk I'll catch you next week.